Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, Nathan, Nathaniel, Nathaniel means gift from God. Nathaniel means gift from God. Matshu, Matya, as it is, Matya, Ya means God, so it's the same thing. So Matya, Matthew, means a gift from God. So uh, when you look at Matthew in the lineup uh, there in, 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 uh, of the disciples and so forth, Matthew and John were the only two of the gospel, the gospel writers there that were apostles. It was just Matthew and John. Matthew was a tax collector, which means it's important. You know, I know we, we say a tax collector. No, no. But you have to look at the tax collector's job. It wasn't that he was corrupt and doing all the stuff they shouldn't be doing. But it also meant that Matthew was, was an accountant because that was his job. He was working with numbers. You know, maybe he was a, 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 a CRA. Maybe he was a certified Roman accountant. I don't know. But anyway, he was an accountant, which means he had kind of a business mind. And, and so the gospel, according to Matthew, is really looking at the gospel from a business perspective, perspective from an accountant perspective. And, and this is the personality of Matthew. And it's coming through in this book because, you know, a businessman is, is a good businessman if he's got organizational skills. It's important to have organizational skills in business. So you'll see in this book that Matthew has organized this book uh, according to, to, to certain topics. For example, it's Matthew that will organize what happened in this town and what happened in that town. And, 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 it's, and, and that's like a bookkeeper, you know, where you can see the, 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 the tab that he's put on his file and he's put all the things in that file. So he's, he, he, he is organizing, for example, also he's organizing in this genealogy alone. He's the only person who does this where he, he sees the genealogy of the Lord in terms of three sets of organizations, three sets of organizations, which are generations. Three sets of generations, he sees them, and the three sets, each set has 14. So there's 14 generations, you know, it's 14 generations from, you know, from, from Abraham, anyway, the Abraham to David, and from David to the carrying of Babylon, and the Babylon to the Lord. These are 14 generations. Can't you just see Matthew? He's sitting at a table. He's a tax collector. He's organized. He's got 14 coins here, and 14 coins here, and 14 coins here. He's stacking them, See? And so this is what he's doing there. You know, he's got, he's got 14 coins in this stack, 14 coins in this stack, 14 coins in this stack. The accountant says, there, right? 
comes to this, there's 14 generations in this stack, 14 generations of that stack, 14 generations of that stack, makes him happy. He goes, there. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a book writer. It's a, it's a, but he's a bookkeeper. That's what he is. So, so, and, but the Lord spoke through Matthew. But the Lord did not override the personality of Matthew. And, and, and that's why you can have a, a, a fire and brimstone loud preacher in a pulpit, and God will speak to that person in his personality. On the other hand, you have this, this very meek, you know, hospital worker who goes to the bedside of a patient, and God will speak to that person. Why? Because God does not override the personalities uh, 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 of the person. The message is from God. It's delivered by Matthew, the accountant. It's delivered by Matthew, the bookkeeper. It's delivered in a business-like style. So, um, unlike the other Gospels, Matthew, therefore, does not arrange his account according to chronology. He, he, he is arranging his account according to subjects. And so, you know, the, he, he, and he's got, he, he, he gets these, you know, and, and so the first part of his book, he says, this is the Lord's presentation. These are all the things and these, that happened in the Lord's life that are the presentation of the Lord to the people. Then he moves on to, this is all the events that have to do with the, the Lord's conflicts with the Jewish people. Then this is the subject of the prophecy of the Lord, uh, the prophecy in Scripture about the Lord. And then, this is the, these are all the events that point out Jesus as the prophet. Then, these are all the events that point out Jesus as the priest. Then, these are all the events that point out Jesus as the king. So this is how he's working here. It's important for us to understand that and see that so we get the most we can out of this book. Now, the first words in this book leave you with no doubt about what this book is about when it says the, 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 it says this, the, the, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we know right off the bat, the book is about one person, Jesus Christ. And this book is not about religion. This book is about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's many topics that are covered in the book of Matthew, especially Matthew's got the Sermon on the Mount, how we are to live with our fellow man. Matthews has a lot of uh, history here about what happened to the Jewish nation. What happened to the nation when it came unto the rule of Rome? Matthew will teach us about this new, how this group of followers of the Lord came to be and a new group. Uh, but the first verse in this book gives the overriding subject of the book. It's a book about Jesus Christ. And, and the first words are like refreshing. They're kind of abrupt. It's, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, uh, I, Matthew, am a uh, tax collector, and so I decided to sit down. I, oh, Theophilus, I decided, as other people have decided to give an account, I also decided to give an account. There's no introduction like that. You know, there's no introduction about himself, you know, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's no introduction about that. It's just, it comes across abrupt, but it's refreshingly abrupt. Because it's like a filter. You know, it, I mean, when, when I read those first, four, first words, I knew, okay, if I want to know about Jesus Christ, I came to the right place. I didn't have to go any further. It's like, okay, right off the bat. But the, the, those first words are also kind of like a lighthouse guiding lost ships into the harbor 
uh, of being sheltered by the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but, and so, if a lost ship's out there and he wants to be sheltered under the, to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then these first words say, this, you, this, you come here. You got it. But on the other hand, on the other hand, these opening words also serve to turn away those who don't want, I don't want Jesus. I don't want to know anything about Jesus. I, you know, I want to, okay. Then you get turned away by these first books, the first words you get turned off by. So if a person is not interested in learning, in coming to, in coming into the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew is not for them. Obviously, the first words tell you that. Because this is a book about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will answer the question, who is the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's a really important question. Because of John 17.3. John 17.3 says, the Lord Jesus said, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now, we, 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 know, we know that God the Son, who we know as the Lord Jesus Christ, and it, but that God the Son, we know that God the Son is eternal. He's eternal. Because we know that from Isaiah 9.6. When it describes two parts in the Lord's life, it says, it starts off in Isaiah 9, 6, and it says, for unto us a child is born. That's one part. Unto us a son is given. That's another part. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and, the name, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So he's got these names in here, and he's called the Mighty God. Well, one thing we know about the mighty God is that the mighty God doesn't have a beginning. And, and then his name is called the everlasting father. Oh, well, we know that everlasting means he doesn't have a beginning. So we, we, know, we, we know also from, from, from uh, how he is proclaimed that he's eternal from, uh, from John 1, John 1, 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, we learn later on in that chapter that the Word became flesh. That's obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it says. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we know that God the Son, who we know as the Lord Jesus Christ, was eternal because of those words. And we also know that he, he is eternal because of his own words, when he said in John eight fifty six, when he said in John eight fifty six, he was, he was, he was sparring with the Jewish people uh, again. Anyway, John eight fifty six, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple. So, so you know, some people have said that, 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 that the Lord Jesus never claimed to be God. That's not true. This verse that I just read here in, in, in John eight fifty six, they are just the opposite because of the tense that he used when he said, I am. He, he said, I am, present tense. He, he didn't say, I was Unless you believe that I was the I am. He said it that I, unless you believe that I am, present tense. So it's clear he was claiming to be the great I am from Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14, where Moses talked to God and God was in the burning bush and God 
said that his name was I Am. And then the people that were there, they understood what he was saying, that he was claiming to be God, be God, because they went to kill him. They went to stone him. Now, later on, in another time, when the Lord, when this happened also, they were going to stone him again, the Lord Jesus says, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me ask you why you're doing this. So in, in John 10, 32, John 10, 32, it says, Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Not a God, but God. So that shows they clearly understood that he was claiming to be God. Actually, it's interesting what they said in, in John 10.33, John 10.33, where they said, thou being a man, thou being a man, makest thyself God. See, they had it backwards. They had it backwards. They missed the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all, the marvel of it all, the marvel of the truth is that thou being a God, being God, makest thyself a man. <laughs> that, 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 that's the wonder of it all. And, and that's this, this, and that's this, that's the point of verse one here of Matthew 1, 1, is, is, is this generational beginning of, uh, 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 it's not the generational beginning of God, the Son. It's the generational beginning of Jesus Christ. And so, so that, that, that's this, this part that's amazing in, in Isaiah 9-6. Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it goes there. Okay, the child was born. The child was born. The, the child was not given. The son was given. The son was not born. So, so verse 1 says the generation of Jesus Christ. That's referring to the child that was born. The child that was born was Jesus Christ. The son that was given and not born was God the Son. And the point of verse 1 is that God the Son came into the world, and, and, and then when he did that, his name was given Jesus Christ. So verse 1 is telling us that God came into the world, just like it says in 1 John 5.20. 1 John 5.20 1 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So that's why there's such a glory in these first words of, of Matthew 1 1 when it says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. You know, the book of Genesis starts off with the glory of God creating the world. The book of Matthew starts out with the glory of God bringing himself into this world that he made. And that's a greater glory. So, this first one, verse one, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. It's very, very similar, very just conspicuously similar to Genesis 5.1. Genesis 5.1 says, Genesis, you know, Matthew 1.1 1, 1 says, this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Genesis 5.1 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Why is that so parallel? What's a parallel? Why, why is it parallel? Well, obviously, this is a parallel with this verse between is a parallel between Jesus Christ and Adam. Adam was created in the likeness of God, which means he had life in himself. 
And then, you know, Adam ruined it all because of his sin, and he became, and he went from being a person of life to a person of death. That was Adam. And well, this is where Jesus Christ comes in because he takes up, takes up where Adam left off. Adam sinned, became a person of death. Jesus Christ came and didn't sin, so he stays, he's a person of life. You know, Adam takes the fruit off of the tree, and Jesus Christ comes and puts the fruit back on the tree there. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 15.45, 1 Corinthians 15.45, and so it's written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus Christ, was made a quickening spirit, a spirit that makes other people alive, in other words. So, now, but, but, but the problem is, or not a problem, but anyways, it's an issue you have to address here, is when it says the generation of Jesus Christ, it sounds like he had a beginning. And this is his start. Well, it, 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 but we've just seen a, yes, his, in, in his humanity, he had a beginning. In his deity, he didn't have a beginning. So now we read in verse 1 that Jesus Christ is the son of David and he's the son of Abraham. So we're, right away we're brought in in the very beginning to see the, the, the link of Jesus to the Jewish people. Now, the way that, that Jesus is viewed largely in the world by Jews and Gentiles, this first statement here about Jesus Christ being the son of David and the son of Abraham, it seems so out of place. It, it's, it's so awkward. I mean, the first statement in the New Testament is for most of people in the world, it's a statement that this must be wrong. There's got to be something wrong with saying that Jesus Christ is the son of David and the son of Abraham. Most people who read this, no, 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 he must be the son of of some Roman pope like Pius or Nicholas or something like that. David and Abraham, that's wrong. Either that or when he stated to to be the son of of David and Abraham, no, he must be the son of Mary or he must be the son of God or not the son of Abraham. Maybe you're talking about Abraham Lincoln or something. I don't know, but can't be the son of the Jewish people that, that, that came from Abraham. It's really a shock. It's really a shock to pick up the New Testament, and the first thing you read is that Jesus Christ is linked to these, to these, these Hebrew national people, you know, David and Abraham. You know. For the Lord to be linked to David, well, you know, okay, he's a great king, but for him to be linked to Abraham, he's a tent dweller. He didn't own anything. He's just a grave, you know, and... and and, 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 and it's so awkward here to see the Lord linked to David and, and Abraham. And, and the people that is the most awkward for are the Jewish people. I mean, whenever a Jewish person says, you know, I don't know what to see why all these crazy Gentiles believe all this stuff, so I'm going to read the New Testament for myself. And he picks up this book that's, that's read by billions of, of Gentiles, and, and, and the Jewish person reads that Jesus Christ is the son of David and the son of Abraham. His response is, What? One of ours? No, no, no. One of them, not one of ours. Because first among the Jewish world, this seems so out of place to link the Lord Jesus with the Jewish people. I mean, it's so much a point that when the Lord Jesus was on the cross and he was looking at himself and he was considering himself and he was saying, and he made a comment about himself when, as he kind of looked at himself and he says, in, in, in Psalm 22, Psalm 22, 6, 
In Psalm 22.6, he says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despise the people. So there he is. He's on the cross. He's dying. And what do people do when they're dying or they're going to die? They do what people do. They review their life. They think back on their life. You talk to them and say, yeah, I had a pretty good life, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, so th- that's what people do. And in the case of the Lord Jesus, he's dying on the cross, and he's also doing the same thing. He's thinking about over his life. And as he does that, he's thinking about his great commission. He had a great commission. You know, we always talk about the great commission, which was the great, which is what he did to us. But he had a great commission also. And, and his great commission he talked about in this book in Matthew 15, 24. Matthew 15, 24. His great commission, Matthew 15, 24. I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's thinking about that. And, and, and he's remembering back to a time, perhaps he's remembering back to one lost sheep of the house of Israel that became a child of Abraham by um, salvation. And, he, and, and that happened in Luke 19.8, Luke 19.8, where it's talked about another tax collector, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Lord, uh, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So here's Zacchaeus. He's a Jewish tax collector, like Matthew. He's a Jewish tax collector, and he now repents, and he turns to the Lord Jesus, and he's saved, and, and now the Lord Jesus is commenting on how this was a fulfillment of his great commission, which was to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's referring to a Jewish man, Zacchaeus. So the great commission for the Lord Jesus was to seek and to save lost Jewish people. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. 
early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited-time offer for our Friendship with God Study Bible and Hymnal. This package includes a large-printed Genuine Lambskin Leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, Visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.